This morning was the penultimate meeting of our adult Sunday school class, uh, our second to last meeting of our adult Sunday school class, which is uh, called the, For the Health of the Nation. And in this class, we've been looking at, touching upon some of the most important issues, some of the most difficult issues that are facing our world, our country today. And we have touched on many of the big ones, from religious freedom to immigration, racial justice, poverty, and today we waded into environmentalism. And the whole goal of the class has been to step back, take a breath, and spend some time looking at what the Bible has to say about these different issues. And some of them are issues that the Bible speaks to directly, some of them more indirectly. And we're doing this because we want to make sure that our opinions and positions are shaped more by well-interpreted scripture than our political allegiances. Now, I know that some people have really enjoyed and appreciated the class. I have found it a lot, to be a lot of fun, if a bit stressful at times. But I also know that some people have found it profoundly frustrating, and I understand why. See, a lot of times there has been more discussion and debate than resolution. And at the end of the class, I think more often than not, we are left with more questions than answers. And we might not like that, but I think it's inevitable because we live in a beautiful but broken world. And that just means sometimes life is messy. Now, I am not suggesting for a moment that there is not absolute right and wrong. There is. We have a God who created the world, designed the world, made us in his image, entrusted us with being his representatives in this world, and therefore, there is objective right and wrong, and it's revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. But even though that's true, that doesn't mean then that how exactly we're supposed to apply it in every single different situation and circumstance is always going to be terribly clear or agreed upon. And it's this... It is this messy mixture of beauty and brokenness that means that even if we are seeking to live well and faithfully, sometimes it can still be a very difficult journey. See, sometimes we can do what's right and things still don't work out. We can honor God and still experience significant loss. We can obey Scripture, and still things just turn into a mess. And that reality can make this life a very difficult journey. But we don't need to despair. And this morning we're going to talk about why. This is the second season of, or the second Sunday of Advent, the time of the year where we 
celebrate and remember the first coming of Jesus as well as anticipate and prepare for his second coming when he comes to finally and forever fix all that's broken in our world. And this Advent, we are looking at Christmas travelers. We are focusing on people who have made a journey related to that first Christmas. And by the time we get to Christmas, we will have looked at three very different journeys, the people who took them, and how we can learn from each of them that we have reason for hope. And so this morning, we are going to meet our second travelers, a young couple that is well known to all of you here this morning, talking about Mary and Joseph. And we're going to learn what it is that made their journey so difficult. And as we do that, we are going to discover how even in a difficult journey, whether it's theirs or ours, we still have reason for hope as we seek to live well and faithfully in a beautiful but broken world. I'm going to invite you to grab a Bible and open with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. If you don't have your own Bible or Bible app on your smartphone or tablet, grab one of the red Bibles. And if you're using one of the red Bibles, we're going to be on page 1593 is where we're going to start. Luke chapter 2. So our travelers that we're going to look at today are Mary and Joseph, and their journey that they are on is the difficult journey. Mary and Joseph made a difficult journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. And so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and the line of David. So during his reign, the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, ordered that a census uh, be taken of the entire Roman Empire. And Israel, as one of the conquered nations in this empire, was included in this census. And this was really about taxes and military service. And while the Jews were, in fact, exempted from military service, they still, like everyone, had to pay taxes. Well, for this count to be done, the Jews were to travel to their ancestral homes. And so for Joseph, this meant taking a journey from Nazareth in the region of Galilee south to the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a small town located a little bit more than five miles south of Jerusalem, the capital. At this point in history, it was probably most well-known as the birthplace of David, who was Israel's second and greatest king. Uh, Joseph was a descendant of this King David, and so he had to travel to Bethlehem in order to register. Um, this journey, again, depending on exactly how you traveled, um, Isaac said 75 miles My research says 90. It was a distance. Um, It was a pretty significant journey to make by foot or perhaps on donkey. Uh, But all of this assumes that one travels around rather than through Samaria. Um, And this circuitous, circuitous route is likely the one that Joseph would have taken 
given the rather unhappy relationship between Jews and Samaritans at this time. But what really made this journey challenging wasn't the distance. What made it challenging is that Joseph was not traveling alone. Look at verse 5. He, Joseph, went there to Bethlehem to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. That is a sentence with a whole lot of backstory. So we see here that Joseph is making this journey with Mary, and we are told two things about her. First, that she is pledged to be married to him. And second, that she's expecting a child. She's pregnant. And so this pregnancy alone would have made this a difficult journey. And as we're going to see shortly, she is not just newly pregnant. She is very pregnant. As someone who's married to a woman who's carried two babies to term and having a sister-in-law who very recently gave birth, I have observed, if not experienced, how the later stages of pregnancy can make even normal everyday tasks like sitting in a chair or walking up a flight of steps much more difficult. And so I can, I can only imagine the challenge of having to make a 90-mile journey by foot or maybe donkey simply to assure an empire that you don't like that you are, in fact, going to pay taxes to them. And so this had to have been a very difficult journey for Mary to make and, of course, by extension, Joseph as well. I mean, for them, the timing of this was terrible. The distance was unbearably long. And the reason for it was yet another reminder that they were not a free people. And so this was truly a difficult journey and would have been a true hardship for them. But it wasn't just the physical hardship that made this difficult journey, that made this a difficult journey. See, there was also scandal surrounding this couple. Now, from our American 21st century vantage point, the scandal may not be so readily apparent to us. A young pregnant, a young woman pregnant with a guy that she seemingly isn't married to, for us, that's unremarkable. It's common. It's something we see, if not regularly, it is something that we see frequently. But for Mary and Joseph, in their time and in their circumstance, it was not common, and it was certainly not accepted. And so everyone who would have been aware of their situation would have considered it to be a scandal. But of course, in this case, not everything was what it seemed to be. There is a backstory here that we need to understand if we are to fully appreciate the true nature of this difficult journey. A backstory that the Bible gives us. We just need to back up a little bit. So if you turn back to chapter 1 in, in Luke there, go back to verse 26. Stepping back in the text and stepping back a bit in time as well. 
It says there, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, if you were here last week, we talked about Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Well, the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her. The Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So we discover here that Mary's pregnancy is not, in fact, what everyone would have assumed We learn that though she is pregnant, she is in fact still a virgin. And so this pregnancy, it is not the result of her sleeping with someone, not with Joseph nor with anyone else. Now you very may well object and say, well, that's not how it works. And you would be right every time, except this time. This pregnancy is special. And the child that she carries is very special. You know, last week we looked at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and their experience of a miraculous birth. Despite old age and Elizabeth's inability to get pregnant, they miraculously conceived a baby and had a boy named John. But see, Mary's pregnancy is not like that one. That one was miraculous. This one's impossible. But everything about this pregnancy and this child is God making the impossible possible. And through the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, Mary is made pregnant. And the baby she carries is the impossible child. But our God makes the impossible possible. But of course, since everyone knows that it is impossible for a virgin to get pregnant, no one is going to assume or certainly be willing to believe that Mary has, in fact, been faithfully chaste and remains a virgin. 
And so, of course, this pregnancy creates a huge problem for people, including for Joseph, this man that she is betrothed or pledged to. Let me give you a little background on Jewish weddings. Uh, in first century Jewish weddings, uh, they unfolded in two stages. The first stage was the betrothal, kind of like our engagement. Uh, it involved a formal and witnessed agreement or pledge to marry and a financial exchange of the bride price. Now, at this point, the woman is legally bound to the groom and is referred to as his wife. However, she continues to live in the home of her parents. About a year later, what we would then think of, or what we would think of as the marriage ceremony actually takes place. And it's at this point that the husband would take his bride home and they would consummate their relationship. Now, because Joseph is no dummy and he understands how pregnancy works, he understandably assumes that Mary, his betrothed, has been unfaithful to him. Because there is, of course, no other reasonable explanation for her pregnancy. And so he makes plans to break off the betrothal, which even at this point is considered to, to get a divorce. But before he does this, before he can do this, God intervenes. And in a dream, reveals to Joseph that Mary has, in fact, been faithful to him. She has done nothing wrong. Her pregnancy is neither her own doing, nor is it natural. Whatever everyone else might be thinking, Mary has done everything right. See, what Mary and Joseph find themselves in the middle of is the next step in the unfolding of God's great unstoppable plan to rescue and to redeem a people for himself. And this next step, it begins with this impossible pregnancy. And though Joseph must have known that almost nobody was going to believe that his wife or that the two of them had in fact been chased, he still remains faithful to his commitment to Mary. He marries her and he takes her home to be his wife. Now, at the time of this difficult journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem that we've look, been looking at there in Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph are almost certainly already fully married. In that culture, it would have been unthinkable for a couple that was betrothed but not married to be traveling together. It just, this is something that just would not have happened. They, there's no way that they'd be traveling together if they weren't fully married at this point. And so it seems that the reason that there in Luke 2, the text tells us that Mary is pledged rather than married is to simply make the same point that we see here at the end of the Matthew text. And that is that Mary is pregnant and still a virgin. See, even though Mary and Joseph are legally fully married, they still have not slept together. The text is emphasizing to us, it wants to make sure that we understand that Mary's pregnancy is 100% God's doing. No man, not even her husband Joseph, is responsible for this pregnancy. 
but of course, who in the world is going to believe them, right? I mean, I can imagine that Zachariah and Elizabeth, they might have believed him. I mean, given their own recent encounter with God's miraculous intervention in their own lives. But beyond them, I can't imagine anyone would have believed them, which would have then dramatically added to the difficulty of this journey because it would have made it scandalous. And there is evidence that others, especially their relatives, did in fact see it this way. Let me show you. Look at verse 6. Chapter, we're, in chap, we're back in chapter 2, Luke 2, verse 6. While they, Mary and Joseph, were there, Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So you guys all know this. These are the verses that inspire the nativity sets that we unwrap and set up in the Christmas season. We have a peaceful barnyard full of clean straw, gentle animals, and a little baby sleeping peacefully in a, in a feeding trough, in a manger. All because the local Holiday Inn Express was full, right? Only there was no local Holiday Inn Express, or likely any inn in Bethlehem. See, inns were not real common in the ancient world, and there never would have been one in Bethlehem. Not in a little town like that. In fact, the NIV text gets it right. You may notice that it, maybe it looks different than what you're used to reading. But the NIV text is right in using the term guest room instead of in. Because that's what this word would have meant in this context. No one had room in their guest room for Joseph and his very pregnant wife, Mary. And so they had to bunk with the animals. Do you see what's happening here? This is Joseph's ancestral home. He has family connections here. His relatives live in this town, but not one of them has space in their guest room for his young wife, who is so clearly about to give birth. Notice something else. During and immediately after the birth, there's no mention of anyone else being present. I mean, Joseph must have been there, but it seems that Mary is the one who wraps the baby in swaddling clothes. Why is there no mention of a, a relative who is there to hold Mary's hand and assist? Why isn't there a midwife to help guide this young mother through her first birth? Why aren't Joseph's cousins there to congratulate him on the birth of his son? Why does this text read like they're alone? Why was there no guest room available for them? I think upon reflection, it seems that there is an undercurrent of loneliness and rejection surrounding this birth. 
newlywed Joseph and his very pregnant wife were not welcome in any of his relatives' homes. They all knew that this couple hadn't been married long enough to explain the progress of Mary's pregnancy. This journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, it was difficult, full of hardships caused by circumstances beyond Mary and Joseph's control, and and scandal, even though Mary and Joseph had done everything right. None of the difficulty that they experienced was their doing. Now, none of us are ever going to experience the particular circumstances that led to Mary and Joseph's difficult journey. This is very much a one-time event we're reading about this morning. But what many of us will share, have shared with them, is the experience of taking a difficult journey because of the messiness of our beautiful but broken world. And sometimes our difficult journey will be due to circumstances that are completely beyond our control. There'll be a sudden accident, an unexpected injury, an untimely death, a job that's lost to downsizing. All of them, all of these things and and so many other things resulting in us now needing to go on a very difficult journey. And there will be times when we do what is right, but still things don't work out. We'll refuse to do something unethical, but still lose our job. We'll take our kids to church. We'll teach them to love Jesus, but they still walk away. We'll hold to the sexual ethic of Jesus, and we'll do so faithfully and graciously, one man, one woman in marriage for life, but still we get canceled. And even if there are times when we are at fault, or at least partially at fault, we might do everything that we can to try to make it right, confess our sins, take responsibility for what we've done, try to do everything we can to make amends, and still find that it's not enough in order to actually fully undo the damage that we've caused. There are a lot of ways that our lives can take a sudden turn and our journey become unbearably difficult because this is part of living in a beautiful but broken world. But we do not have to despair. Because even on this kind of a journey, the difficult journey, there is still reason to hope. Here is the good news. Even when the journey is difficult and maybe very lonely, you can be assured that God is still with you even in the mess and in the hardship and in the scandal just as he was with Mary and Joseph. God was with Mary and Joseph on, this, on their difficult journey. 
I mean, think about it. God worked through the untimely decree of a pagan Roman emperor to ensure that a young woman from Nazareth would arrive in Bethlehem at just the right time to give birth to an impossible child, thereby fulfilling what had been promised by the prophets. And though they were turned away by family and friends, God provided Mary and Joseph a safe and secure place for their child to be born. I mean, it didn't happen on the road, and it could have. But instead, in the safety of a barn, maybe a cave, and it may have been difficult, I'm sure that it was, and I am sure that it was not what they would have ever chosen, but God still provided them with what they needed when they needed it. See, this is how God works in our beautiful but broken world, including today. He works through unexpected people and unforeseen circumstances to bring his good plans to fruition. And he always provides, if not what we would choose, what we need. Whatever the circumstances we might find ourselves in. He does this. And we can be confident that he will keep doing this because he is good. And because he himself has traveled the difficult journey. This improbable, impossible child born to the Virgin Mary, among the animals and placed in the manger, is Jesus, the God-man. In Mary's child, we have the eternal Son of God, leaving behind the glories of heaven so that he can become one of us. And in doing so, he experienced the difficult journey. From his birth to what must have been the early loss of his earthly father. There is a reason that Joseph never shows up in the Gospels after Jesus' childhood. To his public ministry, which, quite frankly, was characterized by hardship, conflict, and misunderstanding as much as it was by his teaching and miracles. And his mission, it culminated in scandal. He was rejected by the religious leaders. He was arrested by the Romans. There was a trial and then a humiliating execution on the cross even though he had done nothing wrong and everything right. And never has anyone so willingly taken on so difficult a journey. And his was the most difficult journey of all. Because not only did the journey take him through suffering and to the cross, but on that cross he carried all of the hardship and the brokenness and the scandal of the world. And he did it, not because he was forced to, but because he loves you. This table that's set 
amongst the Advent, Advent wreath. It's intended to remind us of the difficult journey that Jesus made for us. The bread on the table, it represents his body, which was broken for us. The cup, it represents his blood, which was spilled for us on the cross. And see, in sharing this table, we are celebrating Advent. We are remembering his first coming and what he did for us then. And we're to keep sharing this table until his second coming when we get to share this meal in person with him in the new heaven and new earth. In a moment, Isaac and I will distribute the elements. Um, you don't need to be a covenant member of our church to, to share this meal with Jesus and with us. You just need to be somebody who loves Jesus and, and wants to follow him. Um, parents, we leave it up to you to decide when your kids are old enough to understand and participate. Um, you're going to notice that the... Uh, as we distribute the elements, that it's two cups stacked on top of each other. Take both cups and then hold on to them because we'll take it together after everybody has been served. Um, but as Isaac and I distribute the elements, um, I want to invite you to take this time uh, to reflect on the difficult journey. Whether it's a journey of your own making or if it's a journey because of circumstances outside of your control. If your difficult journey is one of your own making, then take this time to confess your sin and brokenness to Jesus. Because he will hear your prayers, and he will comfort you. This is exactly why Jesus went to the cross, so that you can be forgiven and comforted and reconciled back to him. If your difficult journey is because of circumstances beyond your control, then remember that in Jesus, you have a God who understands firsthand what it's like to take the difficult journey. And so you can talk to him about your fears, about your sorrows, about your worries, because he gets it. And he will hear you. And he will give you what you need. And if by chance you're here this morning and your journey isn't difficult right now, then use this time to intercede with Jesus for those that you know are struggling. Pray for them. Ask Jesus if maybe there's something that he would have you do to join them in their journey right now. See, part of the reason that Jesus has taken the most difficult journey for us is so that we are now able to walk through, walk with others through their difficult journey as well. This is the body of Christ broken for us because he loves us and because he took the difficult journey for us. Take and eat. This is the blood of Christ spilled for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can follow him and join with others on their difficult journey. Take and drink.
Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your great unstoppable plan to rescue and redeem a people for yourself, a plan that we see unfolding in the story of Christmas. Thank you for inviting us to be a part of it. We know that you made us, all of us, to be your representatives and to rule this world with you, and yet we have not remained loyal to you. And so we thank you for sending your son to take the difficult journey to be our true rescuer king. Jesus, thank you for being willing to trade the glory of heaven for the hardship and scandal of a manger, for your willingness to take on human flesh so that you could take the difficult journey as one of us because of your great love for us. Our hope is in you because you are the one who came and who has promised to come again. Holy Spirit, please continue your good work in us Help us to anticipate and celebrate the advent of Jesus, both past and future. May the goodness and glory of God becoming one of us be the source of our greatest joy and hope this Christmas season. Please continue to make us more like Jesus, that we may become more and more your agents of grace and gospel in this beautiful but broken world. No matter how complicated or difficult or messy our journey may get. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.